Life is like an uphill climb, a continuous journey toward the peak. We all face our own struggles, each unique and challenging. In Romans 8.37, we are assured that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. With faith and with perseverance, we can conquer any uphill climb. Your journey may be tough, but victory awaits those who keep moving uphill. And everybody said? Uh, Sometimes it just feels like we're going uphill in life, isn't it? We're going to be talking about that today. So we're in Luke 22. We are in the last hours of Jesus' life. And so I just feel like there's something that God really has for you. Do you believe that? Will you help me just thank our worship team? They did an amazing job. Thank you, guys. I am so glad you're here. There's something I believe God wants to do. I want you to be ready to hear him and most of all, just to respond. Do you believe that? I just believe in the power of agreement. I believe what the Bible teaches us. When we come together and we agree and we ask God for something, he will do it. It's not always on our time, but it's always on his time. So let's just pray first. God, we don't want to do anything, Lord, without you. As these songs, God, have been lifted up, God, just to praise and worship you. We're so grateful. We're so thankful, God, that you rescued us that you've saved our lives, God. And sometimes, Lord, you know it just feels like we're constantly going uphill. And it feels like the enemy is beating us down and it feels like we take 10 steps back and four steps forward. But God, we know that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Thank you for the reminder this morning that nothing takes you by surprise. And I pray for peace. God, I pray if anyone here today is in doubt that, God, you love them, I pray the one message that comes through today, you are a God of love. And that you love every one of us, God, each equally, Lord. And we just pray that tonight or today, God, you will put a fire in our soul, God. Not only to know you, God, but to see this world the way you see it. We believe in change. We believe, Holy Spirit, that you want to make an impact, God, over our city of Mission Viejo. We believe that you want thousands of people to be changed from within, Lord. And we just want to be a part of it. So, God, we pray whatever happens today, we just turn this over to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. All right. Next week is Father's Day. All right. So I really want to ask, not only to be here, but I really want to ask you to invite someone. We're doing something very special for all the dads. It has to do with A&W root beer. That's all I'm going to say. But um, you want to be here for that, Um, most of all, to worship the Lord. But celebrating dads, celebrating fatherhood. Hey, um, I'm sure you know this is a season of graduations, a lot going on, lots of excitement. I'm sure you're seeing Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everywhere. Everyone's graduating. It's so fun. I just wanted to let you know, for maybe those of you that are visiting with us or just kind of new to MVCC, and if you're with us online, so glad you're here. You can connect with us on the chat. But uh, we are family here. I truly believe that. And uh, family, we stay through thick and thin, right? Through the highs, the lows, and uh, we have some little ones we have the privilege of having a school here. And I just want to let you know that our preschool here, every single Monday through Friday, we are so privileged to have over 100 children that are dropped off here and taught and loved and, and prepared and in a safe place where they can pray in classrooms and the Bible is there and teachers that love Jesus. There were uh, 75 preschoolers that stepped to the next level to go into kindergarten. Isn't that great? <laughs> I didn't have kindergarten graduation when I was in kindergarten. These kids got caps and gowns and diplomas. It's all, it's all fun. 
Um, also, wanted to let you know that um, our preschool summer program has over 70 children. They're going to be here for the summertime. We're just glad for that. Uh, we have a, a second campus that's just a stone's throw away behind us here. And uh, O'Neill School, which the city of, uh, or the Saddleback Valley School District has been gracious enough to, to rent us their entire facility. And we're grateful that we have over 500 children. And I tell you, in a world where I am very, very concerned about our public school system and what they're teaching and what they're allowing to happen, I'm just so, every day, I thank God that we have a school, a Christian school, private school for, again, students that come that get to talk about God, get to ask their questions, that teachers that bring the Bible and they have chapel services and care about the kids. And I just, I just want to let you know that 46 junior high school students, students in this room graduated and going to high school. And it's just, it was an amazing evening on Friday to see um, so many of them have been brought up through the Lord through MVCS, Missionville Christian School. And we just thank God for all of our leadership and the privilege that we have to help children to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. Every Wednesday night, just again, want to make sure you know that we have um, mission kids and we have student ministry, junior high, high school, and young adult, every single Wednesday night uh, dedicated to young people because we believe we have got to love this generation and help them and to encourage them to ask their questions, to figure out what is life about, who is God, do I really want to follow God, and wrestling with all those things and sin and temptation and everything that young people are dealing with, just as those of us who are a little older, we still deal with temptation, but I'll tell you what, they they are bombarded with stuff that we were not bombarded with, and we've got to hold them up and encourage them and lift them up to Jesus so they can know that Jesus loves them and has a plan for their life. So just know every Wednesday night, um, you want your kids and your uh, young people, young students to be involved in ministry here. Uh, Amen? Amen. When I was 10 years old, my father, I didn't know he was doing this, he um, signed me up for a tennis tournament. It was my first tennis tournament that I ever played, uh, competitive-wise, that was actually a formal tournament. And so um, my father stuck a racket in my hand at about age seven, and I just fell in love with the sport. I'd hit against the garage door. This is back when they had garage doors that were wins you could hit against the garage door. And uh, I'd lay in my bed at night and dream about, you know, playing Wimbledon and U.S. Open, see tennis balls, you know, in the middle of the night. I just, I, I was like, addicted to tennis every single day I played except for Christmas every day even Thanksgiving we had warm-ups and and workouts early early in the morning I just loved it so my dad signs me up for this tournament and uh, I'm I'm 10 years old and it's just a bunch of 10 year olds playing I think it was Laguna Niguel and um, I was so stoked because I had been fortunate enough to get to the finals I think I won like three or four matches got to the finals and we get to the finals in tennis it's a big deal but there's only one winner. There is no runner-up in tennis because it's an individual sport. So um, I was playing this guy, and he cleaned my clock, dude. He, he beat me 6-0, 6-1. I got one game. And I remember that um, the, they actually had it in the newspaper, the local newspaper. They said, great. It said, Adam, Adam uh, I remember his last name. He said, Adam cle- literally said, disposed of Myola, 6-0, It actually says that. It says that. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> when I would lose, I would get real quiet on the drive home. It was a long drive home from Laguna Niguel to Mission Viejo. It felt like an hour. 
And I remember my father is very um, old school. He's an Italian family, grew up in Pittsburgh. You know, you're Catholic and your family and food and, and Italian food and you just take care of family. That's just the culture. And one of the things that my father just drilled into me is work hard, work ethic. You love your family, you do your best, and you don't ever, ever make an excuse. He just drilled that into me. He raised me that way. So when he was saying, what do you think happened in the match? Oh, Dad, my strings were too loose, and the sun was in my eye, and the women were talking over here on the other court, and it was just... And I remember my father, it it was like it was yesterday. As he was driving, he said, no excuses, no excuses ever. They should drop a bomb on that next court, and you wouldn't even know what happened. And I just remember so vividly, my father, he wasn't yelling at me, but what he was trying to do was impress upon me, you have to take responsibility for whatever you do that's good and whatever you do that's bad. Where is that kind of conviction today? Even among us as believers, and I know it's tough out there. I know we want to live like Jesus. We want to do what Jesus wants us to do, and sometimes we don't measure up. We fail. And I think sometimes we are so afraid of failing that we don't take a risk and really do what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do. Or when we do fail, we think, God must not love me anymore. He's not going to use me anymore. We're going to look at this moment here that Jesus had with his last supper, his last moment with his disciples. It's just hours now. They're going to arrest him. They're going to take him to the cross. But before they take him to the cross, they are going to torture him. They're going to beat him. They're going to mock him. And it just seems so far removed, to be honest with you, to talk about this. 2,000 years ago that happened. But every, I believe every moment that Jesus went through that, he was thinking about you. I believe that. It's personal. God loves you and me, not as we ought to be, not as we should be, exactly how we are. If there's one thing I want us to leave with today, that is it, because that is life-changing. Years ago when I sat in a room about this size, I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know there was a personal God. I didn't know that God cared about me. I didn't know God was directly involved in my life. I really didn't care. I was so busy doing my own life I, I didn't care about any of that. And a guy got up with blue jeans and a t-shirt on. He wasn't, you know, with a three-piece suit, ranting, raving, and screaming, and throwing Bibles at people, and send in your $1,000. The guy was so genuine and so real, I was listening to every word that he said. And I'll never forget in that moment, God is massively in love with you. I didn't know that. And when you open your heart up and you humble yourself, and you take that moment and say, God, I know, I know that I've done wrong. I have done things, God, against you. And that moment that Jesus Christ, when you receive him, comes into your life, man, life changes. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about doing better, trying to do right. I'm talking about opening up your heart to Jesus Christ and his love and forgiveness and grace. And the cross of Jesus Christ means so much to you now that you would would do anything to get closer to him. That was Peter. Peter was the leader of the disciples. He was the leader of the twelve. Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was saying things he shouldn't say. He was launching out when he should have just remained quiet and listened to Jesus. And I love the fact that Jesus was so patient with Peter. I want you to see this scene with me. That they are reclining at a U-shaped table. It's a candlelit room. They have the Passover meal, which is very, very specific on the foods that they were supposed to eat because they were Jewish. 
And Jesus gets to this moment right here that we're going to read now in Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you, the 12, like wheat. But I have pleaded, this is amazing to me, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, you must have the wrong guy. I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news, remember that, guys? When we took the 70 and I sent you out to do ministry and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or even an extra pair of sandals, and you, uh, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money and traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. This is such an intense moment. I just want you to see something here because when I think about the fact that in just hours, Peter is going to deny that he even knew Jesus. He spent three years with him. He saw the miracles. He was helping to pass out the five loaves and two fish for 20,000 people. He saw a dead girl being raised by Jesus. He saw blind eyes opened. He saw the lame walk. He was a part of all that, and yet he's denying that he even knew. Talk about failure. But isn't it interesting? I hope you saw this this morning in this verse, that Jesus said he has been praying for Peter and the twelve. Not that they wouldn't fail, but their faith wouldn't fail. I, I, I want you to see that because I really never saw that before until I st- really started digging down into this and wanting to give hopefully some good food this morning for you that I think sometimes we beat ourselves up as believers because we make one mistake or because we fall. Isn't that the whole point of Christianity? Jesus knew that you and I were going to fall every day. When people get saved and they get baptized here at MVCC, sometimes they'll ask, well, what do I do after I get baptized and I fail? I said, yes, (laughs) you're going to fail. It's going to happen for the rest of your life. We will never be like Jesus, this side of heaven. But when we get to heaven, that's when we'll see his glory and we'll be like him. Jesus wanted the disciples to be reminded that he was not a stranger to trouble. John 16, 33, God reminds us that in this world you will have trouble, but take courage because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Jesus is no stranger. I just want to make a couple of references here that when Jesus was speaking these words to Peter, he understood because Jesus lived it. He experienced pressure. He experienced opposition. And even the devil himself. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus eats with what I call the riffraff of society. 
Jesus eats and has meals with people that um, really had no business at all being with a religious rabbi. You remember, called the tax collectors and sinners. And the religious people hated Jesus for this, that he would sit down and have a meal with irreligious people, which I love about Jesus because he was just with everyone. He loved everyone. In Mark chapter 3, they actually called him, the religious people called him, demon-possessed. In Luke chapter 6, the religious people once again were watching and looking for a reason not to discredit him, but kill him, to murder the Son of God. In Luke chapter 4, even some of his own family members tried to push him off a cliff because they did not believe that he was the Son of God. And of course, we, most of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 4 where it says the devil went after Jesus for 40 days, tempting him in three different ways. Now, when I look at that, logically, I'm like, Lord, why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Why, is there, why did you say in this world you will have trouble? Because when I got saved for the first few weeks, I was like, there's no trouble. I don't know what you're talking about. Life is wonderful. Life is great. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit. I've been forgiven. I mean, life is, is new. What are you talking about? Trouble. But then reality sets in. There's trouble. I think that's one of the most common questions of the day. If there's a God, if there's a loving God, why are there so many painful, hurtful things that go on in our world? So many evil things that it's just obvious that there's so many bad things that happen in our world. And that's an honest question that deserves an answer. I think it's pretty clear because God's word gave us the prescription for this. The reason that there are so many bad things and so much suffering, pain, heartache, and evil is number one, when we make a poor choice, it affects us and unfortunately it can affect other people around us. We live in what the Bible calls a fallen world. Why is there cancer? Why are there brain tumors? Why, are, why does a child die? Why is there famines? Why are there all these things, natural disasters and things? Because unfortunately, in the Garden of Eden, there was a rule that was broken that God says, you have everything to enjoy, but just don't do this. And because they disobeyed God, remember God said, now you shall surely die. And that's when they started growing old and the earth is in decay and all these things because of poor choices. That's number one. I think the second reason is because we have what God says, a sinful nature. We were born with it. We can't get away from it. None of us are perfect. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, that we were born something within us that wants to do wrong. You don't need to teach a toddler to say no, right? You don't need to teach a toddler to say mine. It's, it's something within us. We're selfish. We're, we're self-centered. We are egocentric. And so... Um, it's just the way it is. We were born with that, unfortunately. So there will be a battle, Paul said in the book of Galatians, that there will always be this battle back and forth for wanting to do right. But man, there's something within us that we just want to do wrong. And of course, the third reason is because there's a personal devil. There's an enemy, Satan himself. And so because he was created by God, he is not in competition with God. He is subject to God, and he is in, uh, under God's authority always. I need to state that because in our whacked-out world, there's some weird teachings out there that God and Jesus and, and, the, and, and Satan are in this battle, and we hope God wins. Not true. Jesus has already won. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit has already won the battle. The victory is already done. And so here, it's just good to be reminded about why there are bad things that happen. The devil's called the tempter, the deceiver, the liar, the father of lies, and he's the adversary. Just a few that describe him. I tell you, his one, 
One MO, what he wants to do the most is hurt God. And if he can hurt God's children, he knows that he hurts God. And that's why he's after the church. He's after his people. Satan has desired to sift you, Simon, and the 12, all of you. Isn't it interesting that if we try to imitate Jesus in our culture, sometimes there's actually some praise by the world. But if we become like him, we'll be hated. So we shouldn't be surprised, right? Fact is this. Satan wants to bring your flaws to the surface. And can we just be real this morning? We all have them. So don't pretend, you know, don't, I don't really have that problem. Stuff it down, push it down. Let's just take responsibility and say, these are my weaknesses. I'm aware. And oh God, oh God, oh God, I need your help. Right. Secondly is this. Jesus has prayed not only for the disciples, he's prayed for you. Now, I want to think about this for a minute. We could camp on this for an hour. Jesus prays for me? For you? Yes, that's what he said. In John 17, it even goes into further discussion that Jesus prayed that we would be one, that we would be so unified, we'd be so family, love each other, and so focused on what was important to Jesus. People are important to Jesus. And when we are so unified and focused on not our little church services, but we're so focused on loving people for free, helping people to see that there's a better way, helping people see there is a real thing called eternity. And I was just like you where I was messed up, man, and Jesus totally saved my life. That message is what he wants us to be so unified with that Satan himself could not hurt us. Number three is this, that Jesus knows you better than you know you. That's so important to know that. So there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to hide Isn't it funny how in the Garden of Eden, they disobeyed God and God said, Adam, where are you? They were hiding. God knew exactly where they were. He wanted Adam to know, why am I hiding from God? He knows me and he loves me. Now, number four is this. Failure does not have to be final. It doesn't. It just doesn't. I want to remind us that God is good. In case we get off alignment, God is so good. In Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, our God is in the heavens. And he does what he wishes. Daniel 4.35. All the people of the earth and yet nothing compares to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean you are doing these things? Proverbs 16.4. For the Lord has made everything for his purpose. Nothing slips through his hand without it being approved by him. I got to tell you, that is so comforting. I don't know what it is about this world. When I get my eyes on the world and what needs to be done, and anxiety and stress and worry and just everything that we deal with, sometimes I wonder, God, did you see this? God, did you know this is happening to me? Did you know this is happening to my child? We recently had some, um, my son was having some just kind of strange symptoms. And... uh, so um, I told him, don't look up on the internet when you start to have <laughs> symptoms of stuff. And unfortunately, he did. And so um, he thought, oh, my gosh, I have leukemia. And so um, it wasn't a funny matter. So he went to the doctor. And um, it's funny. My, my kids are in their early 20s. I want to go to the doctor with them still. It's, no, Dad, you don't need to go to the doctor with me. 
So he went in, they ran some tests. Thankfully, um, he, he doesn't, doesn't have leukemia. But what, what I was thinking is those few days, I said, did you get the test back? And, you know, my mom and I are texting him. And we were just kind of on pins and needles because he did have some symptoms that were, were noteworthy of maybe something's going on here. And for those days, God, why didn't we get the word on Monday? It's Wednesday now. Do you know what's going on? Do you, do you realize the stress that we're on? Do you, do you have these conversations with God? Because I certainly do. I have to catch myself. I, 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 want us, I want us here at MVCC to be so convinced nothing passes through God's hand without his approval. And so that helps me to be more at peace with sometimes God allows things to happen. Sometimes the enemy will cause something to happen. But I hope through this text, it'll bring some peace for us. Jesus uses the illustration of sifting. Um, Another word that's used is threshing. Anyone here grow up in the Midwest on a farm or maybe been exposed to anything like that? Maybe Maybe in your earlier years and... There's something about living on a farm that's just, it, the life is different. My wife grew up on a farm in Nebraska when she was little. And so um, after we, we got married, our first vacation, she wanted to take me to Nebraska. I said, what is there? She goes, wheat. <laughs> that's all that's there. It's flat land everywhere. So I'm a city boy, man. I lived here all my life. And so um, this is all like a whole new experience for me. But I remember we walked in and they had these vats and these huge, all this corn and he says, well, what's this for? He says, well, there's like a big barbecue. It's like a big city. There's only like 2,000 people who lived in this town. And so we, have, we shucked the corn. I went, what's shucking the corn? So I'll explain that to you right here because I think this is what Jesus wants us to get because in the culture of that day, this was a normal thing. The wheat he's talking about is cut down. And when he talks about the wheat is cut down, that's an analogy that he's trying to communicate to Simon, Simon, who he already changed his name to Peter, but I think Jesus wanted Peter to know, don't be so overconfident. I know who you are. I know your weaknesses. I know your life before you met me. I know your life before I changed your life. And Peter, I'm still with you. When we accept Jesus Christ, it's exciting. Our sin is forgiven. New life, man. God has put a new lease on our life and things are happening. Things are flowing. We're growing. But then the second part of this process is that there's a kernel of wheat that's in the husk. And this is something that um, I was learning back in the day in Nebraska. Um, Wasn't normal for me. But there's that kernel of wheat that's in the husk. And so, therefore, there has to be this thrashing, this threshing, this sifting. They actually have these, like, long reeds. They're almost kind of like um, an instrument kind of thing. And they would beat down so that there would be a separation and that leads to the third one. The stalk is separated from the husk while the kernel is still wrapped. Now, some of that stuff, maybe some of you know more about this than I do, but some of that stuff needs to be beaten really hard. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing, this is hurting me. I don't see any good coming out of this. Ever been there? Just hang on. The wheat must be separated from the husk. We talked about that. And this is known as the threshing. Well, why can't I just stay in the fun of Christianity? Just knowing Jesus, I'm forgiven. Man, I just love this new family here at MVCC or whatever church you might be a part of. 
But Satan has desired, Peter, to sift you. When I first, you know, read, read that, I think of that sifting instrument, and it's just kind of moving back and forth. That's not what Jesus was talking about. What he's talking about is much more radical. Satan wants to shake you. And isn't it interesting that in Matthew 26, Jesus says, tonight, all of you will fall away from me. All of you will. I just want us to see the context of this. This is an all-out assault on the gospel. This is not just about Peter learning lessons and becoming more like Jesus. This is about Satan wanting to shut down the gospel. Think about this for a minute. If he can cause every one of the disciples to fail and their faith to fail, he will have stopped Christianity. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't know Jesus. We wouldn't, half the world wouldn't be saved because the gospel would have stopped. This is a direct assault on Jesus Christ and the purpose of salvation. If he could just get the 12 to abandon their faith, not just fall, but abandon their faith, Christianity will cease. There's another guy in the Bible. I'll tell you what, I tremble every time I pass through the pages of Job. I don't like that book. I don't like that Bible book. But to be honest, because I'm afraid that something like that might happen to me. He lost his family, he lost the livestock, he lost his property, he lost his money, he lost his own health, he lost everything. And what's interesting about that is God saw and knew everything that was going to happen. Satan says, you know that guy Job, I'll just paraphrase here because we don't have time to read through the 40 chapters, but I, I just, he said, this guy is only following you because his life is good. He lives in Mission Viejo, she lives in Foothill Ranch, she lives in Laguna Hills, two cars in the garage. Heated seats, air conditioning, kids go to Princeton, lots of money in the bank. We go to vacations to uh, Europe. I love Jesus with all my heart. That's wonderful. But the only reason they're following you, life is cush. Life is comfortable here. I bet I could get Job to renounce you. And I just wish God would have said, hands off. But he didn't. I know Job's heart. I know him. And he knew that Job was not going to denounce who God was in his relationship. At the, at the end of the day, after he lost everything, this, this verse, you want to just write this down. There's a seat back in front of you with some notes. Job 13, 15. 13, 15. It, it, it could be a life verse for you, for your children, for your Family, though he slay me, I will trust him and I will maintain my own ways before him. Isn't that beautiful? What we're talking about here when Jesus is saying he has desired, he longs to, he wants to, he's seeking after you, he's looking after you to sift you like wheat. He wants not only to destroy your life, but he wants to destroy your faith. And so here's, here's where it all meets for us. This is going to be a tough part of the message, but hang in here with me because we're all in this together, right? There is some sin and some habits and stuff from our old life that when we got saved, oh, I don't even need that anymore. But some of us have gone back to the closet. 
Some of us have gone back to those old ways because when life got tough, when things were unsure, when we didn't expect to get divorced, when my kid, we didn't expect for this, my child to get cancer, we didn't know we were going to lose the house. We didn't know that our brother was going to be addicted to drugs and wreck our entire life and my savings is gone and I lost my 401k during COVID. All those things that we deal with, man, I just had to go back to the weed. I just had to go back to Coke, man. It just helped me just to get through the day. Or those prescription drugs just help me. And whatever we turn to, this is why. And I'm looking, I'm, t- I'm talking to you as a brother and sister here. I'm not preaching at you. I, I'm, I'm in this with you. I understand this. Some of the old ways are tempting to go back to because it's a quick fix. It's quick. And to be honest with you, the sermons don't wow me anymore at church. The worship really doesn't do much. I mean, I still love God and everything, but I need something now. I need something to fix my soul, my heart, my lonely heart. I need something to give me some quick pleasure now. And what happens is as believers, we get caught up in that stuff. We go back to the old ways and God is saying to Satan, they won't renounce you. I saw every step when they went back and Satan says, I got them. I got them in a stronghold. I got them in a foothold. In fact, I've now influence the church, your church, Jesus, who you died for, the bride that you talk about in your word. I have so convinced the church, the people of God, that they are so powerless, and this is a life status quo, and nothing will ever change. I just got them sitting in the pews, singing songs, and life unchanged. And all the while, I know what they're doing behind closed doors. I know this is difficult, but I want to get to the good part of this. That there is freedom and deliverance when the enemy starts to shift and sift you and thrash your life. There is hope. God knows what's happening. He understands. And there's a purpose that God may allow this to happen. Didn't he say to Peter, after you repent, right? And then he said... I want you to strengthen your brothers. You know when you go through something really difficult that you think you can't go through? And then when you get on the other side of it, there's an empowerment. There's like the super, forget Marvel movies, man, like supernatural Marvel, Holy Spirit-powered life. Jesus wants to do that for us because he wants us to be an influencer in the world that God can overcome anything in your life. And I've been there. When someone comes to me and says, Pastor Mike, I'm really struggling with alcohol. I really struggle. I can't stop the Coke. I can't stop do, doing heroin. To be honest with you, I, I don't really understand that because I was never hooked on that substance. I've been hooked on other things, but I've never been hooked on that. So I can't relate to that. But I certainly understand wanting to go back to the old life for something fast. And here's, here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us today. You ready? Number one is this, to open my eyes. To what God is doing and allowing. So, I, um, as you know, I love playing tennis. So when I buy my shoes, I'm real um, methodical about the shoes that I wear. So I've always bought tennis shoes that are more on the tight side because I want my foot slipping. And then I wear these little Italian shoes when I do weddings and stuff because I got little Italian feet. So I always bought the certain kind of shoes. Well, over time, I had developed this ailment on my foot, uh, tendonitis. I didn't understand any of this. All of a sudden, my foot started hurting one day. So I went into the doctor and he took some x-rays. He says, oh, you're fine. Just take a couple of these 
pills and stuff, you'll probably be better in a couple of weeks. Well, it wasn't getting better. And it wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. It wasn't getting better. After now we're into six months. And now I'm starting to wonder, because I can't do anything, can't play tennis. I have to be still and sit and basically no athletics, nothing. Even taking a walk around my block was painful. Yeah. So I'm starting to wonder, God, do you care about me? Do you know what's happening? Because I've been asking and asking and asking. In fact, there's a parable about a widow that knocked on the door, kept knocking and knocking, and then the judge gave, granted her her, her uh, request. Remember that, God? Do you remember that, God? Yeah. I was almost out of this. All I wanted to do was get out. Ever been in a situation? I just want to get out of it. God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. Almost, I was almost out of this. I woke up one morning, took one step on the hard floor, and my other foot felt like someone stuck a nail through my heel. I'm like, what is that? I literally said, God, you got to be kidding me. And I wasn't laughing. I was crying. It, the pain was so excruciating. I said, I, I get to a, got to a point where I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Now my emotional state is starting to decline. My thoughts start racing. Never going to get better, never going to get better, never going to get better, never going to get better. Ever been there? Yes. God, there must be some sin that I am committing <laughs> because I will confess anything to you. I just went out of this pain. So I went through an inventory in my life. I said, of course, there's stuff in my life that I got sloppy with. And I am repenting like every day. I am telling the Lord, I am so sorry. I repent. I get it. And in my mind, this is all about the Lord's disciplining me. And I trust him and he's disciplining me. It wasn't until... Three nights ago, my wife had been reading from a book from, he's called The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. And isn't it interesting that the very text that the Lord gave me for today, she came downstairs and said, I think I know what God is doing. I said, what? (laughs) Satan has desired to sift you. Because he knows when you can't do anything, no athletics, no tennis, no gym, no nothing, he thinks you're going to deteriorate and just get swallowed up. When she said that, it was like, that makes sense. I totally took that to the Lord. I I, got to be honest with you. I would wake up in the morning and judge my day on the level of pain that I had. Ever do anything like that? When she said that, there was a peace and a calm. The pain didn't go away. But I know because the very last paragraph of what he was writing is sifting doesn't last forever. I'm like, okay, God, I'm along the ride for you with you. I'm going to trust you. Which leads to number two. Can we just get real with God? And take my failures to the cross. It's okay. He knows he died for all of it. Now this is something my wife's really good at. I got these, I got these from my wife. She is so fierce. She's such a student. She's, she used to teach in a, a, a college. She, just, she, loves, she loves school. She loves to learn. She reads all the time. She, she has these note cards 
plastered all over the, the, the places in her, her day. Where she has all the names of God. And so she said, you must know the names and character of God from Scripture. Because if you don't know that, the enemy will get you so twisted up. He'll get you to think you're no good. You can't do anything. You'll never measure up. You'll never be forgiven. You'll never find your way back. So this this is a discipline. This is not, oh, I'm just going to sit down and take an hour and write down all the names of God in the Bible. I'm just going to keep them on my phone. That's a great thing to do, but we don't wake up naturally and do that. This is something I'm making a choice to do this because if times, and you may be sitting here going, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Sifting and stuff. My life's great. It's wonderful. I don't know what in the world you're talking about. Just hang on. Because you know as well as I do, life will hit you. And sometimes it might be from the enemy. And sometimes just bad things happen. Not everything is from the devil. But there are some times that the enemy is after you. And Jesus will allow him, just as he did with Job. You can't kill him. You can't take him. You can't take her. But I'll allow you to do what you're going to do. Jesus restores everything even better than it was. And when you get to the other side, there's going to be strength and power and forgiveness and all those things. You're going to walk in a newness of power, man, that you never had before. Which leads to number five. When the sifting comes, what does God's word say? Not what I think, not what I'm feeling. What does God's word say? You and I have to have an arsenal, man. And number six, the last one is sifting doesn't last forever. Thank God. Some of you here at MVCC are amazing. Some of the things that you have walked through in life, the enemy has thrown things at you, and I'm amazed at some of the things that I hear from you, that what God has done in your life and how God has brought you the victory. And I just want you to be encouraged today that, yes, the enemy is looking for someone to devour. Not to kill, but to devour. And the enemy may allow this, but I want you to be encouraged. If God knows about it and he allows it, there's always going to be good that comes from it. Always, always. Always he will bring you to the other side. I don't know if what Peter thought was thinking when he was out. Do you remember it said after this scenario in the book of Matthew, it says after he denied Jesus three times, three times. It says he went out the city gate and he wept bitterly. He repented and went back. When he went back to find Jesus, what was going through his mind? I don't know if maybe something like this. I remember when Jesus called me at the fishing docks down in Galilee. And he looked at me and said, Peter, I need your boat. And as Jesus stepped into my boat and taught thousands on the shoreline. And then he said, after his message was done, Peter, take the boat back out. Throw the net on the other side. Lord, we've been out there all day. The fish, or the nets are already dry. The, 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 the boats are already in the docks. We don't want to go out again. We've been fishing all day. We caught nothing. Something strikes Peter when he says, because you said so, because you said so, I'll do it. And of course they go out. This huge catch of a fish, just amazing. And what, what I walk away with from that, I just want to finish with this. When Peter says, Lord, I can't be near you. I am a sinful man. Simon, Simon. Mike, Mike. Mark, Mark. John, John. Carrie, Carrie. 
It may feel like you're going backwards, but it might be that I'm allowing the sifting. Jesus could have walked on water. He didn't need Peter's boat. You think about it, he's the son of God. He could have walked literally and taught from the water. It wasn't the boat that he needed. It was Peter that he wanted. Just like all of us. Bad things happen. Things that you don't understand. Things that you would change. I know, I'm with you. I just want you to be encouraged to ask the Lord. If he's allowing some sifting, something good is going to come out of this. God, we thank you for reminding us today of your goodness. Thank you for reminding us that in this world we do have trouble. And thank you for the reminder that there is an enemy who's after us. And God, thank you that you are the one that's victorious. I pray, God, we cling to you. I pray, Jesus, that we will get our mind off of ourselves and onto you, God, because we believe you are still in control. You're sovereign. And we pray, God, you would keep your hand on every single one here today. We love you, Lord. And this communion time of remembering the cross, come to us gently, God. In Jesus' name. So there's a, in the seat back in front of you, um, there's a small cup with some juice and some bread. And this is just something, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, here, I want you to take this. Remember me. And so we just want to provide a moment for you to remember and think about the Lord. Whatever God has put on your heart, I just want to encourage you. Listen to what he's saying. And because you said so, God, I will. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.